Welcome to At Work in America, sponsored by Paychex. At Work in America digs in behind the headlines and trends to the stories of real people making a difference in the world of work. And now here are your hosts, Steve Bowes and Trish McFarland-Steed. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the At Work in America show. Uh, my name is Steve Bose. I'm with Trish Steed. Trish, how are you today? I'm fantastic. How are you this morning? I am very excited, Trish, because we are getting to talk about probably my favorite subject matter in all of HR and all of world, the world of work, which is those connections between the world of sports, which I love, and the world of work and the world of HR the world of leadership, all the things, company culture, you name it, right? Where sports and work collide, there's no better place to be, I think. I would agree with you. We've we've kind of skirted the topic in other shows, and this time we're hitting it head on, and we we found a great expert to come in and sort of share those insights. So I'm really, I'm really pumped about today. Yeah, before we welcome him, uh, Trish, I want to thank our friends at Paychex, of course. Uh, this episode of At Work in America is sponsored by Paychex, one of the leading providers of HR, payroll, retirement, and insurance solutions for businesses of all sizes. Do you think stress-free payroll isn't possible? Well, think again. Whether you need to simplify your tax filing, streamline your day-to-day -day pay systems, Paychex makes managing payroll easier and more profitable. From self-service employee portals to automated processes, Paychex services save you time and money while giving you peace of mind that everything is up to date and accurate. Um, so we'd hate for you to miss out on all the benefits of working with Paychex. That's why we have a special offer for new clients. For a limited time, you can get a year of complimentary digital W-2s so you can focus on growing your business instead of time-consuming payroll tasks. To learn more about this offer and, and everything else our friends at Paychex do, go to paychecks.com slash A-W-I-A and uh, terms and conditions apply. But thanks to Paychex, as always, Trish, we shall welcome our guest, Trish. Are you ready? You ready to talk New York Mets baseball? No, we're not. Well, maybe at the end, we'll talk about that. Uh, our guest today is Lou DePauli. He's from General Sports Worldwide. He's an executive with 30 plus years of senior level leadership experience, and he's currently the president, executive search and team consulting for General Sports Worldwide, which is a global full service sports marketing, management and consulting firm. Lou is known for being an innovative and charismatic leader with a proven track record of significantly increasing franchise values across multiple sports leagues, markets and venues, while recruiting, training and developing some of the best front office talent in the sports and entertainment industry. Lou, welcome to the show. So great to meet you. Thanks for joining us today. No, I appreciate you having me. I'm looking forward to our conversation today. And I'm glad uh, you wore your Mets shirt for the occasion, Steve. I sure did. I, I'm likely to be wearing a Mets shirt half the time anyway. I'm super excited uh, to, to be talking sports, the connection between sports and work, a little bit of New York Mets as well. And maybe with that said, Lou, maybe you could share with us a little bit your bio, of course, but maybe give our listeners just a little bit of color about like some of the couple of things you've done and then what what general sports worldwide does you know today sure no i appreciate that so i mean you know you touched on my my bio uh up front but a little bit more in depth is that i've spent this is my 30th year in professional sports which is really kind of amazing because i still feel pretty young um <laughs> but i started a, a, a helped start a minor league hockey franchise 30 years ago uh in massachusetts in the American Hockey League called the Worcester Ice Cats. 
as a vice president. And I did that for about two years. We had tremendous success. And as I always joke to people, I got my call up to the big leagues. You know, I was called up to the Florida Marlins. Wow. To go there and run their, their ticket sales department at the time. And of course, if you remember, uh, I started there in 96. In 97, we won the World Series. We beat the Indians, or they're now the Guardians, but then the Indians. Um, and then unfortunately, we dismantled the team and all those things that came with it and the struggles that we had. The team was sold then from Wayne Heisinger to John Henry, spent a couple of years working with John. And then I left and I went to the NBA league office, um, you know, where we created a department that was an in-house consultancy to okay. work with all the NBA, all the WNBA, and what is now known as the G League, um, which was back then, it was just starting. It was known as the NBDL, the National Basketball Development League. Right. So did that for five years at the pleasure of working and meeting with a lot of great people. Um, and then I went from there to the Atlanta Hawks, where I became the executive vice president and chief marketing officer for the Hawks. We had a hockey team, the Thrashers, and we operated uh, well, it was Phillips Arena. It's now known as State Farm Arena in Atlanta. And then from there, I went to the Pittsburgh Pirates. So back to baseball, again, as executive vice president for five years at what is really one of the greatest ballparks. Um, it in is. Baseball. We were talking pre-show about right. some of those experiences, Lou. Trish, have you ever been to the Pittsburgh uh, baseball field? I think it's still PNC Park. I think it's yeah, still PNC called. Park. Yeah. I have not. I've been to so many others. That one's still on the list. Well, Wonderful that's a place. must yeah. visit. For sure, Trish, because it is one of the best. It really is. It just, you feel like you're at a baseball game. It's oh, really spectacular. Uh, but then after spending five years there, I thought it was time to go back home. Uh, originally from New York. And I spent almost eight years with the New York Mets um, as an EVP and head of their business operations and chief revenue officer. So I uh, had a lot on my plate and I've enjoyed my career. But when I left the Mets, I decided to do something a little bit different. And the owner of our firm, Andy Appleby, and I had known each other a long time. We had some communications and he said, you can build something that you're passionate about within our company. And I said, great. I think I have the idea, right? Build something where we can focus on executive recruiting and development of people, which is kind of what my background was about. That's how we had so much success in the places that I was, was building the right culture and putting the right people and putting the right systems and, you know, the whole bit. Um, now I could do it on a much broader scale and help other organizations through sports and entertainment accomplish some of those same things with their personnel so they can build the future leaders of this industry. What I love, Lou, about your career and, and the trajectory you're on, continuing on, is that often we hear from young people in college and they're trying to figure out sort of how do I get to be this certain job? And what I love about your career is it's, it, I'm, what I'm hearing is it's very skills-based, right? You have a certain skill set and you've been able to apply that to various sports and now into being able to sort of help in what's a, a very personal way in workplaces, right? When you're talking about right. culture and recruitment and development. Um, I'd be interested, just kind of an aside before we get too deep into what you're doing today is what background did you have before you sort of went out and, and you know, created or helped co-create the Wooster Ice Cats? Like what what was your dream job? What were you thinking you were going to be versus maybe so, what you've become? You know, so the long answer to the question or the short answer to the question is that I always wanted to work in sports. You know, as a okay. kid, you know, you think you're going to play professional sports. 
And then when you realize when you're about 15 that I'm no longer the biggest guy in the basketball court anymore um, and that everybody else was six foot seven, I was only six foot two. And, you know, like, OK, guess I'm not going to be in the pros. So I shifted my thought process to becoming a, a broadcaster. I wanted to be a sportscaster. Oh, right. and, and Steve, you grew up in New Jersey. So for me, I wanted to be the next Marv Albert. Right. Oh, I, Marv was a legend. And I was thinking the same thing, Lou, like when my fastball peaked at like 71 miles per hour velocity, <laughs> I knew it was time for me to find something else to do. Right. Yeah. So we decided to shift. Right. But then, you know, life happens. You go to school, you know, you wind up getting married. And all of a sudden I find myself in the insurance business. And, you know, I was in the insurance business. I started my own insurance brokerage when I was 24 years old up here in Massachusetts, which is where we were living at the time. And you know what? I was successful in the insurance business, but I, I never was passionate about it. Mm -hmm. And for those of you who know, like obviously growing up in New York, but now working and living in Massachusetts, Massachusetts is a diehard sports state, right? Yeah. And I come from enemy ter territory. So I couldn't go in and tell people like, hey, by the way, I'm from New York and I love the Knicks. That wasn't going to cut it. So I did the exact opposite. Right. I, I would tell people on my insurance calls or in my appointments, the first thing I would do is I'd say, if I had an hour with somebody, I'd probably spend 45 minutes talking about how great Larry Bird and Kevin McHale and Robert Parrish were, how yeah. great the Red Sox were, how great the Patriots and the Bruins were. And then 15 yeah. minutes about actually getting business done. So they would trust, you know, they would trust me for 45 minutes and I could hopefully try to close them. Um, but I always had in my mind, I'd love to work in sports, but it just became a, you know, this is in the late 80s. There's not opportunities really for, for people in sports. Front offices were relatively small and they were generally staffed with people who were friends of the owner or friends of the manager, right? So I just thought I'll, I'll just stick to the insurance business. And then the owner of this minor league hockey team, uh, I read about it in the paper. Like he was awarded a franchise to start that year in, in Worcester. So I reached out to him to actually sell them their workers' compensation insurance. Wow. Okay. And this gentleman and Steve, you know, growing up in New York and New Jersey, you may recognize his name. Uh, his name was Roy Bowe, B-O-E. Roy was the original owner of the Islanders. Okay. Yeah. I knew and, there was some familiarity and, there in the yeah, name. And yeah. owned the Nets. So he owned both back yeah. in the 70s, which was unusual okay. for people to own two teams. Um, and then he got out of he got out of the business probably a little too early. You know, he sold the Nets um, and he sold the, the Islanders just before the peak values really started to come off of like the Jordan era and the TV era. Yeah. And he would have been in minor league sports for a long time, but I knew his name. So I decided to reach out to him, try to sell him workers' compensation insurance. And after two or three lunches, he said, listen, I, I need someone like you to kind of run the, the business side. Like the, I need someone to run up sales here. So you want yeah. to come in to be VP of sales? I was like, no, it sure I still had a business and I could just let it run without me. And then let's give it a shot. And then two weeks later, I called my my attorney, Mark, and I just said, hey, I'm out. I, I'm going to sell. And I got in there. And it was just like a dream. I mean, it, it literally the first day in there, I just knew this is where I was supposed to be. And like I said, two years later, I was with the Florida Marlins. And another year later, I was winning a World Series. Thank wow. you for sharing that because I think that a lot of times, like I said, people think there is one path to a certain job or career and 
it's when you dig in, you find out that's actually not it. I had no idea you were in insurance. So, and again, I think, you know, you're talking about doing that, you know, in your early twenties, right? So again, I think a lot of times younger people feel pressured, know what they want to be and, and know exactly how to get there when they're 20, 21, 22. And like many of us, we don't really find ourselves until much later and that's okay. So I think it's really inspirational to, to find out that you were able to follow your passion and it just took a minute to really get to that point. So I appreciate you sharing that. That's great stuff. No, I appreciate it. Look, it's, it's, it's been a fun ride and it's, it's advice I give to a lot of other people, you know, over the years and even now, you know, through our career development platform, the clubhouse or whatever, if I'm out consulting, I'm talking to some of our executive search candidates. It's just, you know what? you don't have to draw a straight line to everything, right? Mm -hmm. Sometimes, you know, the best moves are maybe a sidestep or to take a little bit of a challenge and try something different. Sometimes it's okay to follow your passion, you know, and see where it leads you. And you know what? At the end of the day, you're a good enough person. You have enough skills. You'll be able to find something else. If this doesn't work, it's okay. There's plenty of other opportunities. And that, that's where we always try to make sure that people understand, like, it's okay to be flexible, there's no straight line. You never know which way this is going to go. So just do the right things, you know, learn while you're along the way. And then eventually you'll wind up in the chair you want to be in. Love it. I mean, one of the things about sports that's been interesting to me, uh, and maybe Trish as well, like in this intersection between sports and the, the workplace themes and topics a little bit more generally, is kind of what happened in, I guess, the early 2000s, right? Certainly from baseball, but maybe popular by the movies and the books, which was the Moneyball era, right? Sure. Where a lot of organizations really started to think differently, right? Mm -hmm. About evaluating people, evaluating talent, assembling teams, and even the business side of it as well. And Church and I, you know, have been in doing the HR and world of work stuff for a long time. There was a good run of time where I think I saw Billy Bean present about nine times in a two-year period at various HR conferences around the sure. country. Right. I'm not yep. knocking him at all. He was fascinating. Fantastic. fascinating yes. Guy. But my question is a little bit more about, you think about recruiting for executive positions, front office positions. Has has that changed? You mentioned earlier, like at the beginning, the people working in the front office were all friends of the owner or maybe even former players even, right? And those yeah. types of really insular kind of connections has how you approach and as organizations you work with approach finding leaders and developing leaders. Is it a little bit more, are you casting a wider net, I guess, maybe than perhaps you used to in, in the past? Yeah, that's a great question. And the, the answer is it is a much wider net. It's a much different front office than you might expect. You know, if you go back to your team, you know, the Mets, you yeah. know, growing up, their front office was probably pretty lean. Um, now, like on my team, when I was there, um, we had just on my staff, a little over 200 full-time people. Wow. Right. You know, that we had 80 people in ticket sales. You know, you had, you know, you just had a whole separate events company putting on all those concerts and shows and all the other trade shows and things like that. So um, what's, what's happened is with the valuations of the franchises growing so significantly, Right, that now you're talking about almost every single sports franchise is worth at least a billion, mm -hmm. if not multiples of billions. So it's it's forced owners to really take a look at this and say, wow, this is a billion dollar business. I need to run it like a billion dollar business. So yeah. we need to bring in different leaders. We need to put in a different culture. We have to have more of a growth mindset. Like There's a lot at stake here. 
Um, and there's a lot of opportunity to capitalize growing revenue or franchise value. So there's a much different approach um, that I've seen in the 30 years that, that I've involved in sports. So that now front offices are much larger, very sophisticated. Um, even on the business side, there's a lot more people that come from outside of sport. There's people who are graduating now with specifically degrees in sports management, sport marketing, right? Uh, who have their master's in sport or they got an undergrad in sport and they did a master's in finance and they're coming in to work in sports. And it's just making a tremendous difference because when you bring that much talent to the table, the results are going to be different. That's for sure. And that's yeah. why you see these franchise values continue to grow. It's because the revenue grows and all the other engagement metrics that they use to value a franchise are all continuing to grow as well because teams have gotten smarter about putting in better people and better structure and better systems to drive the business forward. You know, you're, you're speaking specifically about teams, but as you're saying it, I'm thinking like you could be describing pretty much any organization that's attempting to grow and scale, right? And some of the challenges and pitfalls they might run into in terms of, you know, having that more insular sort of recruiting tactics or that lack of being able to know how to develop and grow their management, um, you know, in order to expand or continue expansion for the future. You mentioned briefly just a moment ago, the clubhouse. I would love if you could maybe talk about specifically some of the things you do and the, the tools you're using um, with your organization to help these teams and these leadership teams sort of expand their mindset and their actual ability to produce in these cultures. Sure. Well, that's a great question. You know, and I appreciate that. So the clubhouse is our career development platform, and it's really geared towards people at the early stage development of their career. So people um, matriculating students in college to the first couple of years in working in the sports and entertainment industry. So it's really focused at that top end of the funnel, so to speak, right, of, of the younger, uh, more entry level type roles. Um, and then what we've done is, so I'll take a step back. Uh, a good friend of ours, a gentleman by the name of Bob Hamer, who used to be with the Phoenix Suns uh, for a number of years, he founded the clubhouse years ago and built it up and really did a great job. We were always supporters of it and fans from afar. Um, and we really loved what he was doing. And then COVID happens, you know, everybody's businesses, especially a small business owner like Bob, it, it just wasn't working for him anymore. He had to let some of his staff go, et cetera. Um, and we came in and we bought the clubhouse from him because we were so such believers in it. Um, and, and just the platform is amazing. So it focuses, as I said earlier, on early stage people in their career. And in fact, right now with the content we provide, which I'll go through in a second, it's used in 12 different colleges right now as part of their curriculum. Oh, that's great. You know, for their, for their sport marketing or sport management students, uh, some undergrad and some postgrad, right? So what we do is we try to provide a place where students, or in this case, you know, people looking for a career in sports can go. There are jobs. There's a job board there that lists some more entry level type, type roles that are available throughout the industry. We also provide a lot of webinar content, like sharing best practices, hearing from leaders like myself. But I think the biggest component that we have on there, and it's the most valuable piece, is there's a mentorship platform. 
And what we've done is we have a hundred, I think it's as of this morning, 162 mentors all throughout sports and entertainment who've raised their hand to say, yes, I would like to mentor other people in this industry, trying to get their foot in the door or people who are looking for career advice. I'm willing to do it for free with no charge. Um, and what we do is we set up an online system using Calendly where the the mentees can go on and and turn around and just block time on someone's calendar depending on their availability and just and they're open it's just get a chance to talk now we make sure that we nurture the mentors we have the right mentors in there that they cover a lot of the different verticals within the sports and entertainment field but that is the most valuable proposition um, because you get a chance to learn and talk with a mentor mm -hmm. and. You know, some of the mentors are actually professors, right? So you can talk to a professor at a different university. Okay. There's also people like myself or others on my team or people who've been in the business a long time or someone who might be only seven or eight years out of school who wants to pay it forward. And they might actually be hiring, you know, depending an internship or an entry level role. So it's, it's a really nice system um, that for us, you know, if someone were to become a pro member, it's seven dollars a month. Okay. So it's not right. something that's going to break the bank, um, but the seven dollars a month goes to cover some of the overhead and administrative cost, and then that allows you to have access to the mentors. Everything else pretty much is available for free. The job board, you can create a profile, but if you want access to the mentors and some of the other best practice video content we've created online, you have to pay seven dollars a month. I, I feel like this is such an unbelievable resource that, you know, I'm so glad you're sharing it. Like okay. all this, we have so many students, um, you know, that listen in on the, the Gen Z podcast. And so it's like even the crossover there, you know, for them to be able to hear that. Because one of the things, Steve, I know you hear this too, I know, is that younger people feel like people maybe our age who've been in business for 20, 30 plus years, um, we don't have time for them. And it's, it's yeah. the opposite. I tell students all the time, like, no, no, if you just ask for someone's time and advice, they would be more than happy to share. Yeah. So I love that you're sort of, well, not sort of, that you have created, you know, or that, well, Bob has created and you all are continuing <laughs> the nurturing of it. Yeah. Um, but what a great resource for students and entry-level people, because I think there's just this misconception that maybe those of us who've been in business are just too busy. Do you ever... Do you ever get surprised by kind of the fact that students are thinking like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you're talking with me or? You bet. Yeah. yeah. You know, it, it's interesting. So we were just at someone on my team, Kayla Lawson and I were both in Tampa a couple of weeks ago for the SMA conference or the Sport Marketing Association hmm. conference. A uh, big, big conference. There's a bunch of professors there who teach sport marketing from all over the country. And then a bunch of students come, it's a case competition. So we actually sponsored, the clubhouse sponsored, you know, a, a, an address there from uh, the, what's called the president's address. And we had a presence there for two, two and a half days. And to have the professors, no, they've gotten to know us because we talk to them quite frequently, them come up to us and talk to us. But then the students to come up and say, I've like, I've seen you on television before, or I, you're the, you're the guy that used to be at the Mets, or you're the guy at the Pirates, or like, yeah, and I'm here to help you. They're like, wow. You know, Kayla on my team worked for the Phoenix Suns. They're like, you work for the Suns? How cool is that? You worked in the NBA? Like, 
they're just blown away that we are there on site to talk to them and try to help them with their careers because that's how much we care. Yeah, it, it just feels unreachable sometimes, you know, when you're younger, especially even for us, right? If if I thought I wanted someone's advice, you think like, oh my gosh, they're on this pedestal somewhere. And really, we're all just real people and we're really anxious to share and help and help a younger generation grow. Yeah. Um, I mean, look, Stephen, I no, I'm sorry. I'm like dominating the questions. Okay, but... no, that's, oh, that's okay. And, and I agree with you, Trish. That's a great point. And it's a great lesson for people to understand yeah. is that even the great leaders, right? Especially if most great leaders, okay? Uh, they're always going to be the exception, but they're people like the rest of us, right? Mm -hmm. And generally, yes, they're very busy, but you can approach them and it's okay. Like I've worked for like Commissioner David Stern, right? At the NBA. A lot of people were like, wow, David is tough. And you know what? David was really tough. But if you went up and asked him a question, you know what? He'd give you his time. He really, that's when we used to call him Uncle David, right? When he would actually give you some <laughs> advice and a pat on the back and then a kick in the fanny on the way out the door, right? <laughs> but it was okay. And I tell people all the time, you know, and it's not cliche, but when I was working for a team at a, at a C-level role, I always said that my door was always open and I meant it, that if you had a question, you had anything at any time, if you saw me walking in the hallways, pick my brain, right? Because I walked around all day long and I picked everybody else's brains, right? But I want them to feel comfortable enough to come to a senior leader and say, hey, I've got this question. I'm interested in my future or how do I go about this? Or how did you do this? Or why are we doing this? So, and it's great. And <laughs> So my assistants who used to sit outside my door at City Field, there was always just a line of people. <laughs> and some of the other executives were always like, what is going on? She's like, she tells people to come and they come. So wow. why not? You know, to me, it's important that people understand that we're just in this together. I'm just a little bit more seasoned. Mm -hmm. um, and then to give them the guidance to grow and develop on their own so that they can be in that office someday. I appreciate you giving us some of the insights around the clubhouse and a little bit about your perspective as a leader yourself. Um, you know, we, Trish and I both have college students, right? We're parents of college students. And right. um, uh, I have one I'm going to tell like right away, like, hey, check out this clubhouse. But he's the biggest Same. sports fan in the world. He's going to be graduating <laughs> soon from uh, BU up in Boston, as a matter of fact. Oh, so, uh, fantastic. Yeah. I will hook him up, but uh, my daughter's in sports marketing. So I'm sitting there like, she's oh, going really? to love oh, this episode. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? So it's, it's called the website is the clubhousecareers.com. Okay. Awesome. Right. So you can go there. They can build a profile. Again, like I said, you know, we joke around when we, we address the college students directly about getting a pro membership for $7 a month. Mm -hmm. We'll usually say, Hey, that's less expensive than one of your textbooks for a semester. Or For maybe sure. one less beer or one less coffee, yeah. you know, depending on what you're doing uh, with your personal time. So, uh, but I mean, $7 a month, it's a small investment to make to be able to have all this great access to the content yeah. and the mentors. Yeah. The one other area I wanted to dive into just for a few minutes while we have you is around executive recruiting, leadership recruiting, right? It's a big part of what you and the firm do in the sports world, admittedly. Yeah. But certainly um, there's some parallels or some throughputs to the more general world of leadership and, and the types of folks you are working with and characteristics, you know, vision, strategy. Uh, what are some of the things that that you you think about or in the organizations you're working with who are, hey, 
we're going to work with a partner like General Sports worldwide to fill these really important roles, whether it's CMO or CFO or you name the role, right? It doesn't matter. But are there things you you're, you're finding? Like, hey, this is the kinds of people we're working with, and these are the kinds of characteristics we're we're in need of. You know, it's interesting. You know, so part of what I also do is I spend a lot of time consulting. So I do a lot of consulting work for for properties and leagues because I've got 28 years of experience of running the business side of sports franchises across hockey, baseball, and basketball, you know, Mm -hmm. including, you know, five years in a league office, right? And running an entertainment venue. So people come to me from my experience. And what I try to do is when they come to me asking about maybe a potential senior level role that they want help with, that's when I kind of put on my consultant hat and I ask a lot of questions, right? Tell me a little bit about your culture, right? And then I'll let them talk. And then what are the desired qualities you want out of this role? But then I'll ask them like, but is, what's the culture that you want, right? If this is your culture now, why don't we bring in someone who could be a culture changer if that's what you're looking for? Or some organizations have phenomenal culture. So you want to make sure that it's the right culture fit. And then they have to have the prerequisite experience, right? But it's always about, you know, making sure and it's a sports cliche, but you want to make sure you can find someone who can play on the team, mm. right? Or in some cases, they can manage the team. So you, you've got to be able to find people who have the right skill sets. And generally, sports, especially on the front office side, they seem to be a little bit more in tune to the culture piece. You know, because when you work in sports, um, it's not just hanging around the office talking about making trades all day. You know, I, I tell people I spent 16 years in baseball, you know, 81 games a year plus spring training, plus some road games, plus playoff games. I've probably been to in person a couple thousand baseball games. I can't tell you too much of it, how much I actually watched, (laughs) you know, because you're working. Sure. You know, like during the baseball season or basketball or hockey, when you have a game at night, you work all day. And then there's a game at seven o'clock at night or 730. And you're there until 10, 1030. And in my case, maybe later, you know, as you're doing post-game wrap-up with PR or whatever. So, so there's a lot that happens and you're putting in a lot of hours. You want to make sure that the people that you're working with have the right culture, the right fit. Because if you start having, you know, people that don't fit and the culture is broken, it, it makes it for a very, very long day. Uh and very long weekends because you're also at the arena or facility on weekends. So it just becomes a tough existence. And that's why in the last probably 20 or so years since we started our department at the NBA league office known as uh, TeamBo, it's an acronym for team marketing and business operations, where we really started honing in on the culture component across the league and making sure that teams understood how important culture was. And then as I got into my career, I made sure that culture was always extremely important as well, because you know you have to have that. And that's the one thing that I ask our clients about. We want to make sure that we're enhancing your 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 current culture, or maybe we're helping bring in someone who could be a culture changer. You know, skills, great. We can go through the skills and we can go through the background, but a lot of times it's a real focus on primarily on culture fit. I'm so glad you mentioned culture fit sort of as separate from skills, because I think right now, especially in, you know, the workplace and future of work industry, it's all about skills. Mm -hmm. Um, If I am maybe a 
mid-level to senior leader and I'm even having any aspiration, whether it's to go into a, a front office of a sports franchise or, or just another organization, if I feel like I'm a little lighter when it comes to my knowledge or my exposure maybe to working in really solid cultures, I don't know, do you have any tips or tricks for people maybe on sort of that being the recruitee? What can they be doing to prepare themselves? Because maybe, you know, there's lots of times we work good jobs and we don't, and it's not in a good culture, right? right? But that's where we kind of cut our teeth. I don't know. Can you flip that and sort of think about like, if I'm, if I'm the one looking, sure. what can I be doing to, to improve that myself? Look, that's the one thing about the sports and entertainment industry. It's very transient, right? A lot of people know that when you get in, you're not going to work for this organization. In all likelihood, you're probably not going to be there the next 40 or 50 years right? You're probably going to go in for two or three years and look for the next opportunity. So I always tell people while you're there, if there's a culture issue, don't be afraid to raise your hand. I don't care if you're entry level or mid-level, like mm. raise your hand and try to make the difference. If you realize it's just not going anywhere, you know, then you have to look at extricating yourself and moving on to somewhere else where you can impact a culture or be a part of a better culture. So on that component, you know, that's where you need to leverage uh, relationships with recruiters like myself and knowing what jobs are available in the sports industry, but also probably more importantly is building your own network outside of your current employer. So when you're working for one of the clubs, let's say you work for a baseball club, you should know all of your counterparts and then some at every other club. You should know everybody in the minor leagues. You should probably get to know the people in your market who work in the other sports like basketball, hockey, or football. Or, or soccer or whatever else is in your marketplace and build your network because eventually that's where almost all your jobs come from, or at least ideas of like, Hey, the grass isn't greener, or maybe the grass is a lot greener and you're in a tough spot. We'd love to hire you. You're a wonderful person. You have the right culture and the right skills. Let, let's bring you on board. So we always tell people sports is a massively large business. But in the front office side, comparative to most major corporations, they're, they're small. Mm -hmm. There's not a lot of people in this business. And when people say to me, you know everybody. I'm like, I do. I've been in the business 30 years. <laughs> like, there's not that much turnover. Right. I mean, you know, two, two fellas in, in baseball, uh, quite honestly, this year just retired. Uh, a guy named Mario Alioto from the Giants, who was their head of business operations, been there 50 years. Wow. Like, started off as a bat boy. Great guy. Um, and then Dan Farrell from the Cardinals. There you go. Retired this year after 40 years. That's rare. That's Those guys are rarities today. Yeah. You know, most people are more like myself. Every four to five years, you're going to be in a different market and different role as you continue to move up in your career. And that's just become commonplace. So you need to make sure you have a really good network. And then just make sure you have a really good reputation. Mm. Because the business is so small. If you burn bridges, if you're someone who is a culture issue, right, or a lack of performance, mm -hmm. people are going to know pretty quickly in this business. So if you're doing all the right things and have A-level talent and an A-level attitude, opportunities are going to come your way. But if you're on the other end of the spectrum, it, it, people are going to find out quickly and you're going to have trouble getting, getting work. And, and that's the sad part, you know, because it yeah. is such a small business. 
Yeah, I yeah. love that. I'm writing down so many notes, but I think one that might stick with other people too is don't be a culture issue. I don't think yes. I've ever thought of it in that way, but yeah. often I think what we do in organizations is we'll hire an executive without thinking about that culture fit to begin with. We just know their their skills, their background, right? Maybe they're a producer of you know, great sales or whatever. Right. You, bring, you bring them in and they think they're there to kind of tear everything down, right? So it's almost a misconception. They're, they're there to re, like restructure everything and really they become a culture issue and it yeah. doesn't work. So. I, I just love thinking about it that way. So even if I'm, you know, out there hiring today, I'd be thinking, "Ooh, are they a culture issue? <laughs> are they going to be?" So I mean, look, I've example. always been—I've always been very focused on the culture. Yeah. You know, for for you know, from my earliest days in the insurance business, I knew that that culture was not something that was conducive um, to to me. And I never thought—I always said I learned a lot about what not to do when I was in the insurance business. Um, and I always felt like the culture just means so much. And we all played sports growing up. And we all knew that there were times when you, you played on a team where you had less talent than everybody else, but because everybody got along and everybody knew how to pull their weight, that team out punched their, their talent. Mm -hmm. But conversely, you also saw these teams that had a load of talent and they couldn't win because they didn't get along. And they could, you know, nobody knew their role and everybody wanted to be the hero. And it just, like the culture is what defines your success. And then you can fill it in with skills and training and development, but you have to have the right culture. So for, for my teams, required reading in the last 20 years, um, it's probably at least 20 years since I first read this book. And I'll, I will keep it clean. It's called the no a-hole rule. Oh, sure. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Famous book written by, um, oh my gosh, I forgot, Ben Sutton, I believe it is. Because um, it's great. And look, it tells you what uh, bad culture people do to a business and how they impact it. But it also has a good section in there of how to identify who the bad culture people are, but also how to identify if you're the bad culture person. Ooh. So it, it's good because you know what? It finally makes people self-reflect and say, oh, you know what? Maybe I'm the a-hole in this case <laughs> and yeah. I need to change. So it, it. it's, a, it's a powerful book that I made pretty much every single employee read if I could. Uh, and we had a massive library in my office uh, at City Field or in Pittsburgh and I'd loan it out constantly to people mm -hmm. and ask them to read it and share with me their thoughts and it, because it's important a amongst the probably 150 other books I would recommend. Right. But <laughs> that was usually number one. Uh, because it was all about culture. Yeah. Good. I'm going to ask you one final question, because I, I think it's important that we at least touch upon it, particularly in the sports world, right? For people who are fans of sports or just fans of the world of work uh, probably are familiar uh, with something called the Rooney Rule, which the NFL implemented a number of years ago in efforts to uh, reach uh, better diversity Yep. Uh, meet diversity goals in hiring, in coaching, and in front offices as well. Uh, Lou, I, I I don't know if the other leagues have done similar uh, official rules like that as the NFL has or not. You would know better than me. But I'd, I'd love for you to comment just a little bit more generally about, you know, you talked, uh, you know, at length very eloquently about the importance of culture and building culture and adding to culture, perhaps even changing culture as, as organizations are looking to fill uh, or promote into executive or leadership positions. I'd love for you to maybe just give us a thought or two on 
diversity in hiring, especially in leadership hiring, how it's either changed at all in the world of sports, your your area of expertise, or more broadly in just how you think about, hey, let's let's also think about these issues as we're we're working to help our organizations succeed. Yeah, that is a great question. It's something that I'm also very passionate about. Um because I spent a lot of time in my career hiring a ton of diversity. Um, it's important, you know, for people to understand that, you know, you need diversity of people for diversity of thought, you know, and, it, and it's okay to think differently. Um, but that said, you know, sports is still predominantly mostly white males, you know, mm -hmm. on the, on the front office side where, you know, when you look at the product on the court, or on the field in, in let's say basketball and football, it's predominantly not white. Mm -hmm. uh, hockey is predominantly, you know, Caucasian. And then baseball is, is, is mostly a Caucasian Latino, uh, very little African-American. So, but my whole point always has been that teams and leagues need to look a little bit more like their demographics. So as an example, you know, when I went to uh, the Marlins in 1996, we had very, very few people who actually spoke Spanish in our front office and nobody on the sales team. And I just said, how can that be? You know, we're in South Florida. So, you know, I wound up um, getting rid of everybody uh, and rebuilding the sales team. And I made sure that I think there was at least five or six out of the like 18 people we hired were all native Spanish speakers. So that way you can converse with people in their native tongue. They're more comfortable, mm -hmm. right? That only makes sense. That's logical. You know, when I got to Atlanta, I made sure that our staff was, we had the appropriate amount of African-Americans to Caucasians because the marketplace is pretty close. Well, you can't have it be one way or the other. And then when I got to Queens, you know, Steve, you're being from New York, the big melting pot, right? Yeah. Queens Again, we had to make sure that we had the most diverse staff because Queens County is the most diverse place in uh, in the country. I, I was going to say Queens is the most diverse place in the world, probably, honestly, Correct. with the number of languages that are spoken in Queens well, like, right. natively. It's incredible. Yeah. Right. So so that's just uh, probably a little bit micro, but going back to the bigger picture or the bigger question, on like the Rooney rule and things like that. Um, what's happened is I think there were some unintended consequences of the Rooney rule. And it probably hasn't quite worked the way they wanted it to, to this point, um, where other leagues took a little bit more of a progressive approach to say, let's train our leaders, let's train our people, let's make sure that we have a pipeline of people who are diverse. We put diversity training programs in there, we put diversity pro. Let's make sure that we have people ready to step into these head coaching roles or in these senior leadership roles. Now, the NBA has done a fantastic job with diversity, right? When you look at the coaching, when you look around the league office, when you look around the front office of a lot of teams, there's a lot more diversity there. Yeah. Still a long way to go, right? But I think the key is, you know, one of the things that happens on the business side, right? So that's that's where I'm more familiar because that's where I spent most of my career. A lot of the employees, when they come in the door, right? So when you start your career in sports, they're more heavily skewed towards non-diverse, right? You've come from a certain school. The hiring has always been from certain schools, yeah. right? So you need to make sure that there is a broader audience at the beginning part of the funnel. So we always spend, that's why we always spend a lot of time on the clubhouse talking to the schools that have more diverse populations, 
because yeah. we want them to come into sports and historically they've been not shut off but they probably never thought it was something for them so we talk about that a lot and make sure that we're hiring diverse at the beginning part of the stages of the career of the funnel so that longer term we'll have more diverse executives available because right now there are certain roles within sports that there's very on a business side again on the front office where there's very very uh light in terms of diversity yeah you know it's hard for students because i think that you know i've done recruiting for many years before kind of going off into the business we're in but one of the things it's almost like businesses have to seek out organizations that will help get you in front of students whether they're high school or gosh even junior high you know um, before they even hit college and so i think it's it's still a disconnect unfortunately on how do you even give them those networking opportunities because often it's when they meet someone right when you're young and you see someone who's really passionate about whatever it is they do you're like I want to be like them, you know, I want to do that job because mm-hmm. Lou's really awesome and right. And so yeah. what I like about the clubhouse, though, and seeking out schools that are specifically trying to have diverse populations in the school is that you're then giving that opportunity. Right. And I think that's maybe the missing piece, right? That right. connective, that connective tissue is the opportunity. So I, we definitely need more of that, I think. For sure. And look, a lot of it, too, is just awareness, knowing that this is available. Like, yes, you can work on the business side of sports. You don't have to be an athlete like we all want to be. You know, there are choices. And here's kind of how that works and what that flow likes. And by the way, here's someone who's actually a product of what we've done and what we've built. You know, I mean, I have, I can't even tell you. Someone asked me recently, uh, probably about six months ago, how many executives have worked for me in my career or that I started that are now at senior levels? And it was a staggering number. And then when I broke it down in diversity, it was even more impressive. So I think that's the key is like, but most of those people we hired early on in their career. And then now, because I've been doing this for 30 years, you're starting to see people from 20 years ago are now heading up into these other roles and senior levels and saying, okay, like now guess what? It can be done and here's how we did it. So it, it it's really rewarding, but it's also, it's the right thing to do. You know, you, you have to make sure that you're offering, you know, uh, diverse people the same opportunities as everybody else. Because I said earlier, diversity is going to help diversity of thought and help organizations run better. Yeah. There's no doubt and about that. What a that, great Lou. recruiting yeah. question, don't you think? I mean, if you're recruiting someone at a senior level, ask them that question that you were posed because even if you're surprised about it, I bet many leaders would be surprised either positively or negatively, right? About how many people we've impacted. Yeah, it's one right. of the great it's one of those great throughputs between sports and the the broader world of work, Lou, because in sports we you know this, it, it, they talk about coaching trees or coaching yes. families all the yeah. time. So you might yeah. take a, a long tenured coach in a sport, uh, say like a Bill Belichick or a, uh, a Greg Popovich in basketball and yep. say who are all the folks that worked under those coaches right along the way as assistant coaches say, and where did they go? And they develop their own kind of branches off the tree. And it's a good way to, to think about legacies, but also think about uh, 
those people as nurturers of talent, right? Which is just as important perhaps as what they bring to the table themselves, right? What because right. you, you're really trying to bring out the best in other people. Lou, we could go on forever and I I want to be conscious of your time. I'm gonna one final question, I promise, and this is gonna be an easy one. Okay. We tell people to check out uh general sports uh worldwide and go to the clubhouse.com, which is this. Lou, the greatest mascot in major league baseball, the best mascot <laughs> is, in your opinion. Let me have it. Hands down, Mr. Met. Absolutely oh. correct. That is the correct answer. And I'm glad no we settled this it. once and for all. You know, I'm I'm a little bit biased, obviously, having spent almost eight years there, uh, being part of Mr. Met's crew, um, and then bringing back Mrs. Met. Um, oh, you know, fantastic was, too. By again, the way, yeah. goes to again diversifying your audience, etc. Right? We brought yeah. back Mrs. Met from the '70s. Um, wow. You know, so just little things like that. Um, but Mr. Met. He's ubiquitous. He's, you know, everybody knows Mr. Matt. It's it's hard to say anything bad about him. He's just a wonderful guy. Really. But he's got a big head, you know, so it's hard to fit him in a room sometimes. Lovable. He's just everything about Mr. Matt. But Lou, that was my absolute <laughs> favorite question and answer of the podcast in 2023. Uh, Lou, this has been so much fun. I really appreciate you spending some time with us today, sharing your insight, your expertise. We don't get to talk about these topics, which I'm so passionate about. And I know Trisha's such a huge sports person herself, but th- to get into some of these intersections between the world of sports and leadership and diversity and, and, and mentorship and training and kind of the next generation of leaders, it's all there. And uh, it's been a fantastic conversation. I want to say thanks again for, for spending some time with us today. Well, I appreciate it. You know, I, I can see both of you have the passion for this and hopefully you can see as it relates to the sports and entertainment, I have the same passion. So uh, I, I appreciate you having me on. Thanks so much, Lou. Trish, great stuff. I love this. One of my favorite shows of the year. Absolutely. Me too. I feel like not only have I learned, I know for sure our audience will be writing tons of notes and doing things differently. So one thing, Lou, I want to clarify. So is it the clubhousecareers.com? Did I get that right? Yes, yes the clubhousecareers.com. Okay. Then, I think Steve had it right. It's generalsportsworldwide.com for our, our primary Oh, yep. We'll get those links in the show notes. I will be sending my son to the clubhouse later today. So look for that, Lou. And uh, thanks Same. again, <laughs> Lou DePoly from General Sports Worldwide. Great stuff, Trish. Uh, loved it. Uh, thanks to our friends at Paychecks, of course, for all their wonderful support. And thanks, everybody, for listening. And remember to get all the show archives at hrhappyhour.net or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, for our guest, Lou DePoly, for Trish Steve, my name's Steve Bose. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time. And bye for now.